Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Okay, let's jump in. Um, We are going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Go ahead and turn there if you will. I want to begin a series today that we're calling The Heart of a Champion. Uh, And we're going to be talking about this over the next four weeks. Um, We believe that the Lord has a word for our body to call us out of some of what Josh was just talking about, this life of defeat and despair and depression, and into a place of power and love and discipline, right? And and that is a very different invitation than just God kind of making you into a, what I like to call a Jesus robot, where you're forced to do things. He invites you into this participatory faith where he is inviting you to live in his power and love and discipline. It's a life of growth and breakthrough. Uh, And uh, this came out of our 24 hours of fasting and prayer, our 24 hours of prayer at the end of last year. How many of you got to participate in that? Uh, And so if you recall, we did a series on the Holy Spirit. And as a part of that, we really wanted to to, uh, stir up our hunger for the presence of the Lord and stir up our, our hunger by prayer. And so during that 24 hours, as I was in here in the early morning, Uh, The prayer that started to emerge from me was for our body, and it was out of 2 Timothy 1. It wasn't like a plan I had. It wasn't, I wasn't like there in my reading plan. It felt like the Holy Spirit was praying something over our church through my lips in the early hours. And that passage out of 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-discipline or a sound mind, as many of you know it. And so as we kind of like took that word, we wanted to steward what we felt like the Lord was saying. I texted it to all the people praying the rest of the day, and it just kind of grew in intensity. And people kept coming back and saying, that is the word over our house right now. Like we need to pray this 2 Timothy 1 power and love and self-discipline that comes by the Holy Spirit and crushes the spirit of fear in our lives that limits us from doing what God's called us to. Uh, And so that is why we're leaning in this year. Um, But that... That passage begs a question for us. What have we received in Christ? What have you actually received? What does it mean that we belong to him? Right? Like if I belonged to the world before and there were all these things that came with that, what does it mean that I belong to Christ? What does that mean that we won't face hardship and suffering and persecution? Now, this is really helpful if you're like new to Jesus or you're going through, like Josh is saying, like breakthrough and still contending for the fullness of that thing, right? Does it mean that we're not going to suffer or go through hardship? No. Does it mean that God has finished his work in us and that we're going to just skate into eternity unscathed? Like some of you are here this morning and you are struggling. And, And yet, the very thing that God spoke over you is the truest thing about you and in you this morning. Are you with me? You you still have struggle, you still have hardship, you're still going through things, life is not cookie cutter, and yet, this eternal thing, this eternal glory is being worked out in your body day by day until we see his face. Do you see the tension? We have to ask the question, what have we received? Is it just heaven one day, but we're going to go through limping until we get there? Because I can face hardship and suffering, but when I read the gospel, I find a very different picture than me just kind of barely making it. Are you with me? (laughs) That one landed. Now, Now, here's the reality. Whether we know it or not, 
Every single one of us come to Christ with all sorts of expectations about what that means. What goes away and what stays? What do I endure? What do I get delivered from? <laughs> Are you with me? What am I saved for, from? What am I saved for? We, we all have our luggage packed on what comes in this relationship with Christ. But I think we need to turn to the scriptures and say, like, Lord, what do you say about that? Right? And so let's read together in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And it says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness. That same God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, if we were to stop right there, you're like, This is it. Story's over. We have reached the apex. Right? We reach the climax of the story. We must be going to be with Jesus. He has changed us forever. No more problems. No more pain. It's good, baby. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. Doesn't that sound like what Josh just said? We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Paul tells us that life in the spirit is like treasure that's stored up in a clay jar. I don't know if you've seen those reels on Instagram where these people go out with these little shovels, and I think they're burying these treasures and then digging them up on camera. Okay, it's all a hoax. But they go through and they're showing them like digging out in the dirt somewhere in the middle of like, you know, South Georgia. Um, and they're finding these antiquated clay pots filled with treasure. They're, they're just borrowing from Paul's language. Paul says that you, if you belong to Christ, you are a clay jar full of treasure, full of treasure. It, it, it is all power and glory on the inside, and it is fragile and vulnerable on the outside. Now, this is really incredible, and it's very sobering, particularly if you came out of a strain of the church that said, once you get saved, you are fully sanctified, and there are no problems. And if that's a strain of the church you came out of, I am so sorry, because I'm probably going to disappoint you this morning, or, or preach something that's going to make you mad, and, and that's not my intention at all. Paul says that we are actually living in the tension of the power and presence and glory of God at work in us right here. And on the other hand, in the reality of living in a world that is opposed to Christ and blinded by the enemy and under the power of sin and death, where we are ensured to experience pain and suffering. Power and glory, suffering. And it's all in the same thing. Now, is that frustrating to anybody else? <laughs> when I read this passage, I want it to be cleaner, Lord. Like, I want it to just be treasure. You put the treasure in and everything else becomes treasure, <laughs> right? Like, it just all shifts at one point. And Paul says there is this tension that we have to understand about this enduring life of God inside of us and that we are still in a fallen and broken world and we're going to go through hardship. And, and if, as a church, if we believe that following Jesus means there's no hardship, we are going to live with this broken, fragile disappointment because we think Jesus is doing something different than he actually is. Are you with me? 
Like Peter says these really mystifying things, like Jesus came to suffer so that he could set an example for us to do the same. How many of you have that one highlighted in your Bible? Like, I like the deliverance ones. I like the ones where he heals everybody. I'm not sure I like the ones where he says, take up your cross and follow me. You're like, my cross? I thought you had the cross. Are you with me? That's a very different picture. It's a very different picture that Jesus came and did everything, as Bill Johnson says, so that I can do nothing. Or if I'm also going to take up my cross and follow him. Very different. It's sobering for us. We live in the tension. And both exist simultaneously. You know, for many of us, our expectation was that when we gave our lives to Christ, if we were honest with everybody, like don't be ashamed of it, um, we thought that everything would get easier and that we would just keep moving toward greater levels of success and happiness and nothing would go wrong. And then we got saved, right? And it's like, man, we actually got the greatest treasure possible. I received the greatest gift possible when I came to know Christ. I got Christ in me, the hope of glory. I received the Holy Spirit. He changed me and transformed me. And yet, I have challenges and trouble. And they don't go away. I'm one of those people that doesn't wash my car often. Anybody else in here? Because I've got this theory that the more I wash it, the more the bugs are drawn to it. Um, And that's stupid. I just made that up. Um, Here's the reality. Every time I wash my car, I feel like something happens to it. Like, um, a couple years ago, I'd let it go for a minute, and it got, it got real dusty, okay? And then I started paying my car all kinds of attention and was like, look, I need to be a grown-up. i got to shine this sucker up. It got hit that week, you know? Like, it's like, I should not have watched it. I shouldn't have watched it. Some of you tonight, if you're a, a fan of whatever teams are playing in the Super Bowl, sorry, that's me, um, you're like, I'm not going to change my underwear for a month, or I'm going to wear the same socks. That's disgusting. You're disgusting. Wash your clothes. That's weird. But I'm like that. It's like the second I go to clean something up and to make it new, it starts taking hits. Anybody with me? It's like, well, why am I going to do that? Why am I going to do that? For many of us, we actually expected that of the Lord. Like, Lord, um, I heard somebody say it this past week. Like, if I come to you, I know that all of my stuff at school and in my family is just going to get better. And I was like, mm. do, we, do we have the theology talk now or later? <laughs> That's the pastoral difficulty. Like, it's a moment of zeal. Do we talk now or later? Now, look, here's why this is really important. For some of you, you are, you are desperately longing to follow Jesus. And if you believe that following Jesus leads you into uh, prosperity in life and success, money in your pocket, fullness in the bank, no sickness in your family, you, you are barking up the wrong tree. Because the way of Jesus is the way of denial of self and death to self and life. And life. Right? Like I don't, it, it's not negative. It's actually the way to live. And yet, it is full of challenge. Are you with me? But if, if we want an immature version of that kind of faith, then we will just say, come to Jesus and he'll solve it all for you. He creates a whole new set of issues for me. I'm like, I just want to pay off my house, Lord. He's like, are you materialistic? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you, see what, you see what I'm saying? Okay. 
I'm getting a little crazy, and I don't have enough time to be doing this. Um, Paul says, we are not crushed, but we are hard-pressed. We are perplexed, but we aren't overcome with despair. We are never abandoned, but we do suffer persecution. We can be struck down, but we're never destroyed. You feel that? You feel the tension there? He says, we are clay jars. We're simple and functional and fragile. And nevertheless, we have been filled by the treasure of the glory in the life of God. In those those struggles, in those trials, in the opposition, you have been filled by the Spirit. You've been filled by the life of Jesus who comes to change you and make you whole. And they happen at the same time. And because of that treasure, we live in hopeful defiance of the things that we suffer. The things that we suffer, Riley, are not the things about us. You with me? They're the little, the, the little footnotes underneath. The big stuff is I, I was changed and sanctified and set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in defiance. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says we're being given, given over to death so that Jesus' life may be revealed in us. Now, I love that. That may sound sadistic to some of you, but hear me. Paul is saying that every time I hit a bump that feels like I got nothing left. How many of you have hit that recently? Like, Lord, I got no more. I got no more. I got no more. I don't have any more room. I don't have any more strength. I've got no more power. Paul says that's the perfect opportunity for the life of Christ to be revealed in you. Often we think, I got, I got to get all that hardship off me so that I can experience the good life of Christ. And Jesus says, my life is revealed in your weakness. My life is revealed in the strain, in the tension, in the places where you want them to just leave. God says, that is where the life of Christ actually begins to glow. Because the treasure of the life of Christ in us isn't limited by suffering and hardship. It is amplified by it. Jesus is drawn to our weakness and our suffering. He lives there with us. Some of you are like, man, I'm, have you ever heard somebody say this? Um, I've had the experience pastorally of being with people who have struggled through cancer and some have persisted and gone through and others have gone to be with the Lord. And I hear the same thing over and over. I wouldn't trade this for anything. What? And every single one of them has the same thing. I, I know the Lord in a way that I have never, I have never known him. That, that is the only kind of thing that will actually awaken us to the richness of the promise of the life of God in us, right? That it's not measured out in whether or not I'm going through a hard day. It actually is amplified, that the life of God is amplified even when I'm going through hard things. Friends, I can't promise you that life is going to get easier or better in the way that the world measures it. But in our charismatic conviction, we have to be honest that the power of the cross and the life of the Spirit haven't promised us deliverance from pain and suffering. They haven't. In fact, they've kind of ensured it. Jesus tells us that the core ingredients to follow him are to deny yourself and to take up your cross. And that the world is going to want to kill you because they hate him. And that in this world you will have trouble. Now, if this is the promotional marketing ploy of the church, it's not so good. Are you with me? Jesus, why should I follow you? Because you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, but why should I be with you? Because the world hates me, and they're going to try to kill you. Why else? (laughs) Surely there's a good one. In this world, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. 
Now, this is really important because if we're going to cultivate the hearts of champions who know how to be resilient and persist in the face of opposition, we have to know the quality of what we've been given when the heat turns up. We have to. See, see, what I can promise you is that if you remain faithful to Christ, though you feel pressured, you won't be crushed. Though you feel perplexed, you won't be swallowed up in despair. Though you experience persecution, you will not be destroyed because the greatest thing in you, the realest thing in you is the treasure of Christ. Like it becomes clearer and more real than anything else, right? In our youth, sometimes we glorify things that in, um, as we age, those things change. Like I'm thinking about my parents and um, so many others who, as they age, you deal with different levels of sickness and struggle in your body. Does that mean that the treasure has lost its worth or value? No. And do I build my theology based strictly on a season of life? Are you with me? Or on a culture? Like, what does it mean to be a Christian in America versus a Christian in sub-Saharan Africa? We we have to have a sense of the gospel, the real gospel, that is treasure. It's treasure. But it may look different in this season than it does in the next season. And we can't say that the gospel is strictly this kind of principled thing where um, I never suffer anything, never go through anything. I feel like I'm harping on this. I want to make sure we get it. Are you with me? Now, here's the realest thing. There is no comparison between what you suffer and the treasure. There's none. And in my conviction to express to you that we will go through hardship, please don't mistake what I'm saying. There is no compare. If we could put the treasure of knowing Christ and receiving his kingdom on one side of the scale, and then we put all of your hardship and all of your suffering for your entire life on the other, that scale would flip over because of the imbalance between the glory of God and the hardship I face. Like there's no comparison. And for many of you, it may be that you think they're even or that you think that the hardship outweighs the glory. It's a lie. It's alive. There is something greater that it's exposed in the scripture here. Friends, there's no comparison. You kind of hear this pour out of the Apostle Paul several verses later in verses 16 through 18. He says to us, therefore, we don't lose heart. Listen to him. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us, our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen to that. Our troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs all the hard stuff. See, because of that revelation, we fix our eyes not on the troubles and what we can see, but on what we can't. Because the stuff we can see is temporary. It's a breath. Here one moment, gone another. Here one moment, gone another. Some of you today are in the midst of trial and suffering, and you believe this is my whole life. And the Lord says, temporary. Temporary. Breath. In and out. But he says, the stuff that you can't see, the unseen stuff, that's eternal. What does it mean that we're meant to live with eyes that see unseen stuff more than seen stuff? The things that we think are unseeable, that they become our reality. And the stuff that is easily seeable becomes just a footnote on God's glory being revealed in our lives. 
What does it mean to dial my eyes in, Josh, so that that's what I see? That when I suffer, when I go through hardship, when I go through struggle and trial and difficulty, that my eyes don't laser focus on those as my reality and my identity, but I can live with my eyes and my heart anchored in the reality of who Christ is and what he's promised. What I have felt for many in our body is that we are anemic and living in response to fear because we have fixed our eyes on what is seen, not on what's unseen. And I really believe, friends, that God is calling us as a church to fix our gaze, to right our focus, and to lift up our eyes to him once again. This is not pretending hardship doesn't exist. There's no strength in that, right? I think Brandon beautifully addressed that. He felt insecure about it as soon as he said it, but toxic positivity as a way of like following Jesus, that's not helpful, you know? Like, if, if you got a cold, you say, I got a cold. It's fine. And then we'll pray about the cold. But we're not just going to pretend that there's no hardship and difficulty. Are you with me? So this is, this is not us saying, no, nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Like, that's a different form of fear and anxiety. Are you with me? This is actually recognizing what's going on and saying, but here's the truth. This is what's happening. Here's the truth. See, that's, that's righteous defiance of the fear that we face. I want to invite you to live in righteous defiance of fear. Because our hearts are rooted in something stronger than this moment. And I, I don't know if you've been there before. Many of you have. I can hear it in your voices. You go through something difficult and you feel certain that God's abandoned you. Like you hit a wall and you go, where did God left me? Is that, is that what happens? Is that what happens, Lord? But that is our felt experience, isn't it? I'm alone. I'm going through this and I'm alone. You know what's so beautiful is that even in the moment of Jesus' greatest suffering, he felt the same things. He can teach us how to feel emotions and stay surrendered and attached to the Father. Do you see that? I, I don't have to detach and like go off on left field because I feel something. Your feeling is not reality. It's not that it's not important. It's just not the whole story. Right? You feel certain that maybe God's abandoning you or you feel that that familiar temptation creep up after you've been set free and you feel despair. You've, you've been there? Anybody? You're like, yes, all of us. We've all been there. Maybe you've been praying for healing or breakthrough for your family or you just don't see the change and it causes you to question the Lord and yourself and your faith. We are being called to fix our eyes on what we can't see, and to remember the treasure. Yeah, Paul is sharing this thought with his apprentice, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, and this is where we get our core passage from. I want to read verses 6 through 10, though, just to give you some context for it. Paul says, for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, not make us afraid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. What an invitation. He has saved us and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death 
and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's important that we read verses 6 through 11 and not just 7, right? Right? If you pluck that out, you get a very different sense about what Paul's saying, right? No fear, power, love, self-discipline. Yes, Lord. Suffer with me. Come suffer with me. Why do I need verse 7? <laughs> Verses 8 through 11. Right? He says, fan into flame the gift of God. Yeah. Often when we talk about that, we use it in terms of like spiritual giftings. Like if I'm w- with the Spirit, the thing that I'm fanning into flame is the grace that He has given to me. Right? So words of knowledge or prophetic words or serving or acts of administration, um, prophetic words, whatever the thing is, we kind of envision the gifts. But he's not talking about the gifts. He's actually talking about the heart of the Holy Spirit. And why does he do that? Because Paul's calling Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel, to testify about Jesus, to live a holy life. He's calling him to live as a champion in defiance of fear, in the face of it, with very real peril, with real hardship, with real suffering, with real cost attached. He's saying, here, live in defiance of fear. And Paul says, if you're going to do that, And I would say this morning, if you're endeavoring to live that kind of heart of a champion where you defy fear and you step into what it means to belong to Christ, if you're going to do that, you have to fan the flame of God's Spirit in your life. Now, notice that there is a responsibility to pursue and stir up what God has given us in the Holy Spirit. It's a personal responsibility. If you're waiting on the Lord to just turn the volume up for you, He actually says you have this role to play. How many of you just waited around for God to do it all for you? And God says, I'm actually waiting on your hunger. I want you to come after me. Right? Now, why does growing in the Holy Spirit help us to become champions? Because the Holy Spirit is altogether unique from every other spirit, and He is a master at warring against Satan and demons that come to attack and kill you. He's a master. He's a master at teaching you how to kill your own flesh. He is a master. The Holy Spirit is the one who does this. Um, If you look through the New Testament, Jesus talks about spirits that come to inhabit us in two ways. That come to inhabit people. He talks about clean and unclean spirits. Have you ever noticed that? He rarely says demons. It says cast out devils or cast out demons. But often, when he sees the thing, it addresses it as a clean or an unclean spirit. Now notice that. There are countless unclean spirits known as demons. The scriptures tell us that one-third of the angels fell from heaven in rebellion with Satan. Now, I don't know if y'all are good at math. That means two-thirds. we got twice as many angels who are on the Lord's side than demons, number one. Um, but secondly, and I just realized, I grew up charismatic and Pentecostal, and you haven't talked about demons your entire life, some of you. And so if you're rattled by this, just go read. Like everywhere Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, he heals the sick. He casts out demons, right? Like this is what happens when when God's kingdom comes. Um, He doesn't want people to be afflicted and oppressed by evil spirits. Yeah? And so there are all of these countless demons, but there is one clean spirit that inhabits. One. It's the Holy Spirit. One. Derek Prince says, um, helpfully, that demons are people without bodies who come looking for a body to inhabit. So maybe the language around demons and spirits is kind of like a little too ethereal for you. It's a person that doesn't have a body that wants one. 
Are you with me? Um, now, some of you are saying, yeah, but what about angels? Are angels clean spirits? Yes, but it's not really on the topic, okay? Angels don't come to live in you. Hebrews 1 says, angels are all ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Their assignment and role is to serve you from the outside to inherit what God has put inside you. Are you with me? If an angel comes to move in, that's called a demon. If they, if they come with luggage, that's not the right angel. Are you with me? That sounds funny, but it's not funny. Like, it's not funny, right? Um, demons come to torment, attack, harass, compel you to sin, enslave you to sin, enslave you to addictions and behaviors and all sorts of things from the inside out. But the Holy Spirit comes to set you free. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, to set you free from the inside out. He's the only spirit who comes to inhabit that cleans house and gets you free. Amen. What? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, listen to this uh, quote from Derek Prince, also helpful. Demons have two main objectives assigned to them by Satan. Number one is to keep you from knowing Christ as Savior. But if they fall, fail in that, their number two objective is to keep you from serving Christ effectively. Hmm, Helpful. So if they can't have you, they just want to hurt you and distract you and entice you to keep you ineffective and unproductive, right? And Paul writes that if we're going to live as Jesus-testifying, spirit-filled people of God who are willing to suffer for the gospel, we have to know the difference between the Holy Spirit and a spirit of fear. He says, Timothy, if you're going to do this work... You need to know what you have and have not received. Really quickly, when we talk about spirits, um, Josh actually did a great job of mentioning this even when he was talking. We're talking about influencing thoughts and ideas and emotions, right? And we are also talking about disembodied people with an agenda to wreck your life. You with me? So spirit in the, in the text is pneuma, it's wind or breath. That means that you may have this emotion of fear, and not all fear is sin. Can I get an amen? I'm afraid of tornadoes, and God put that fear there for a reason. I'm afraid of sharks. I don't like them. I don't want them in my life. Anybody else? The older I get, the ocean is like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Somebody broke into my house, I might do something to them. <laughs> like, uh, right? So, so there, there are rational things that we call fear, and then there are these um, emotions and ideas and thoughts that begin to control, and there are disembodied people who leverage that with an agenda to destroy you. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm trying to build way too much framework uh, here. We'll see what we can do. I think Paul is addressing both. Thoughts, attitudes, and emotions, and a, a spirit that comes to wreak havoc. I think he's addressing both. Firstly, we aren't called to let the emotion of fear steer the ship of our lives. And for many of us, we have felt that sense that in the way that I make decisions, that fear is actually the captain of the ship, right? I think, Matt, you put it uh, really clearly at the men's retreat that we live in self-protection instead of glory to God. Like I'm going to respond to the word of God or am I going to respond to just protecting my life and what I think is best. It's a very different thing. So I'm not, I'm not called to let the emotion of fear steer the ship of my life. 
And, and for all of us, I think it's really good for us to see that there is healthy fear, right? Like God actually gave you a part of your body that tells you to fear something. It's the amygdala, I think, you know? And, but that same thing that can protect us can also control us and dominate us if we let it steer. Are you with me? And controlling fear really is about an entity. It's a person. That's where the spirit of fear starts to maximize. The spirit of fear is the thing that the Holy Spirit throws out because He comes to torment and dominate us, but the Holy Spirit comes to set us free and to deliver us. So those two things, I believe Paul is addressing right here, and I don't want us to miss that, right? Like, um, for many of you, if, if you know me well, you know that I love anything to do with the nations. I just love God's heart for the nations. I believe our church is meant to be radically connected to that with everything that we do. But starting out early on, I had like deep uh, fear of traveling, like strong anxiety. In fact, um, my dad and I were planning to go on a trip to Albania one time. This was like 15 years ago or more. Um, And he had to, he thought he was going to have to bail out on the trip last minute. And I had a panic attack. I was standing in my room thinking about this trip and thinking about going on it by myself and fear seized me. And I would have, every time I planned a trip, I would have nightmares for weeks in advance. Um, My stomach would be destroyed for weeks in advance. You know, like I really was just rattled by fear. And it was something that I, I remember there was a distinct moment where I was standing and I realized it was during that trip. I was standing and realized that I had to confront this thing. Otherwise, it was going to control me. And some of you feel that. You, You are making decisions where fear is actually steering the ship. It has both hands on the wheel of your life, and you don't make decisions by yourself. You just respond to the decisions that fear makes. And I had to make a decision with the Lord right now and say out loud, I will not let fear lead my life. I break off that curse over my mind that says, I'm going to die, or I can't make it, or I don't have what it takes. If the Lord's called me to this, then I know that he will give me what it takes. And so, Lord, I say yes to you and no to that thing. Now, I may have seemed crazy because I'm by myself in the room talking to myself, but how many of you need to hear the very thing that you're dealing with? (laughs) I had to say it. I will not live in fear. And that thing broke. Now, hear me. I went on a trip a couple years later, and I felt anxiety the whole first part of the trip. So what happened? Did it go away? Yeah. But I also had to face it. And I had to continue to say, nope. You're not controlling me, right? As we said at the guys' retreat, do it afraid. Sometimes there are things that are going to confront us, and I'm going to feel the emotion, but I can step over that. The strong man has been broken. The wall has been shattered, but that little ledge that's left where the sledgehammer of God's power went through that thing, suddenly I have the grace to just step over that. That's just a little fear. I can face fear. It's not controlling me. It's not intimidating me. It's not dominating me. I can step over that. Are you with me? And for some of you, the Lord has broken down that wall of fear, and you fill the ledge and say, I don't know if God's done it. He's done it. But you get to employ your faith and your trust in Him by stepping out, continuing to take steps. And for others of you, you don't even recognize there's a wall. And there's a wall. There is a strong man in your life robbing you of what God wants to do because of fear. 
And sometimes that comes with reason. It comes through bad experiences or pain or trauma or whatever. But we have to do something about that wall. Otherwise, it forces me to navigate my life in weird ways around it constantly. I can't ever go from point A to point B. I got to like, do this workaround because of this wall of fear. It creates this little maze in my life. Are you with me? And that is not how the Lord has called us to live. So how do we know if we're living under the spirit of fear? Simple. We ask if we are living full of the power and the love and the self-discipline of God. Lord, am I living with this revelation of your power that's made perfect in my weakness that I can actually trust for you to do all that you said you will? And am I living out of a heart that is wide open and has received your love? And can I make decisions with you to change things or do I feel enslaved to them like I have no power to move forward? We just ask that question. Paul says the opposite of fear is not what you think. It's not just courage. It is power. It is love. And it is a sound mind. It is what comes with the Holy Spirit. And this is precisely what we want to walk around over the next four weeks. We want to talk about what it is that fear does in us versus what the Holy Spirit brings to us. Instead of you being dominated and controlled from the inside out, the Holy Spirit gives you the power of God. The resurrection power of God. Paul says that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you by faith in the Son. If we came, striking sermon illustration, I brought a dead body and laid him out on the floor right here. (laughs) Shocking number one, you'd leave already. And the Spirit of God came and gave it life. He says that's the same kind of power that's at work in you. Do you know the power that you've received by the Holy Spirit? The dunamis power, the dynamite power of the Spirit that breaks through anything, anything that the enemy can do, that breaks through anything that this world can throw at you. Do you understand the power of God at work in you? And have you received the love of God? Many of you can't give or receive love because um, you haven't received God's love. That spirit of adoption that calls you a son You can't earn it. Like for many of you, maybe you're hardwired kind of like me and you think I got to earn my way to get to him and then maybe he can give me this stuff. And the Lord says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ, not by works. There is no boasting. Are you with me? Have you received the love of God that revolutionizes your hearts? And finally, do we understand this discipline that the Holy Spirit gives us. If we don't have that self-discipline, we live enslaved to every compulsion and desire because we don't know how to yield to the Holy Spirit who trains us to war against the enemy. Are you with me? God calls us to be champions. You may be a jar of clay, but you are full of treasure. You're full of treasure. And God wants us to learn how to fix our eyes on the stuff we can't see Because that is what will carry us through the things that we can. Amen? Amen. So over the next four weeks, I just want to call us to confront the things that have control. And for every single one of us, this is going to take a heavy dose of just self-evaluation. Lord, what's actually controlling me? It's amazing what fear will gear in our lives. For many of us, it causes us to overwork ad nauseum. Because we're afraid that God will not provide. And so I just have to live going seven days a week. All out, right? 
For others of us, it means that we live with a lot of armor on. We self-protect. We keep ourselves safe through anger towards others, rejecting others before they can reject us, senses of humor that are really funny, but also are just armor, right? We live under all kinds of things. Fear will do all kinds of things to give us legitimacy in life. And I want to encourage you over the next several weeks to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there anything that's controlling my life? And do I understand the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God and the self-discipline that you are seeding into my life? I want to um, just give us an opportunity to respond today. Uh, And simply this, if you're here today and you haven't surrendered your life. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.